to Fantastic History. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clay. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Now let me ask you something. When I say trial of the century, what case do you think of? Uh, probably O.J. Simpson, really. Yeah, for most people our age and like our parents' age and like probably even our grandparents' age, it's probably O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Um, his murder trial in 1995. It's, it's probably the murder trial or trial that got the most coverage. Oh, like for of, of sure. all time. I'm sure because like every single day, and this trial went on for so long. Yeah. Like. I, I think it would be hard to top that. It would be so strange for anything else to be that big again. Um, I think it would be hard to argue that it was the most memorable and culturally relevant trial like of our lifetimes. Yeah. And there have been like presidents impeached, like the whole Bush Gore thing in, in the late nineties with yeah. like the hanging chads, like crazy but like oj was the one it looms over it everything everything like i remember watching it even though i was like 10 years old nine or 10 years old when it was airing and i remember sitting in front of the tv and watching it It was so weird my mom's husband at the time had a screensaver on the family computer it was like a little almost like eight bit of the bronco being chased by cops yeah it was lampooned on Seinfeld, like just about <laughs> every other TV show at the time. It was on SNL all the time. All too. the time. Like so many skits because the trial went on for so long. Yeah. They could do their little opener, you know, little <laughs> skit like all the time. And like, we're still making movies and TV shows about it. Yep. Like crazy. Would it surprise you then to know that there were dozens of other alleged trials of the century in the 20th century? Uh well, I, I a little bit, but sensation. If if we've learned anything <laughs> from doing this show for so for you know a year and a half, maybe mm-hmm. it's that sensationalism reigns supreme for sure. So it doesn't surprise me too too much, but I wonder how many of them are legitimate. Like right. trials of the century could be considered, or if some of them were like, yeah, you're just trying to sell some papers here. <laughs> I think we could say 100% of them were just trying to sell papers or add revenue on a news channel. Like, that's the only reason stuff like this gets out of hand. Yeah. What I found surprising, though, is that there were also like several others that were dubbed the trial of the century after OJ. After? After OJ. Like, of the century? Of this trial of the century after OJ. Well, like I mentioned, like with the hanging chads, Bush versus Gore. Yeah. Like that was one. Um, Bill Clinton's impeachment was mm. another one. Like that, ooh, the trial of the century. Girl, shut up. It's OJ. Like, stop messing. It's definitely OJ. It's definitely OJ. Like, we've all seen that one. And you're trying to tell me there's one that's wilder than that. Like, okay, <laughs> great. A 1999 article in the Washington Post explained... Calling court cases the trial of the century is a traditional bit of American hyperbole, like calling a circus the greatest show on earth. Every juicy tabloid trial in our history was called the trial of the century by somebody. Every time I turn around, there's a new trial of the century, said defense attorney F. Lee Bailey. It's kind of a hype, he says. It's a way of saying, this is really fabulous. It's really sensational, but it doesn't really mean anything. Hmm. 
If the name F. Lee Bailey sounds familiar, it's because he's been involved in a handful of trials of the century, including Patty Hearst and O.J. Simpson himself. Well, there you go. Yeah, so he's kind of an expert on the subject. If anybody is, it would be uh, old F. Lee Bailey. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know more about all these other trials competing with O.J.'s for the title. Well, I mean, I got some time, so I guess I'll hear about them. Perfect, because today (laughs) I am going to start a series (laughs) where we learn exactly that. Oh. Yeah, so the plan right now is to only cover the 20th century, because even breaking into like a few episodes, like doing this over several episodes, it's going to be a lot to cover. Mm. But I do want to say that Fantastic History alum Lizzie Borden's case was one of the very first to be called the trial of the century in the 1800s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Are there any other repeats that we're going to come across? Oh, you mean like people we've already talked about before? Yeah. You'll just have to wait and see. I'm not going to give you that. (sighs) Although, so guys, if you're like a newer listener, if you want to learn more about uh, Ms. Borden, please go back and listen to episode 35. I've even recently put up a Lizzie Borden t-shirt in the Etsy shop. Oh. While I have your attention, I'm going to start adding more history-themed merch to the Etsy shop. So just make sure to check out the link in our show notes. You want to you wanna check that out. And it's not even like, we've got you know, a couple fantastic history things in there, but it's mostly like general history. So okay. fun little conversation starters with yeah. other people. Sweet. I, for one, love showing off how much I know about history. So like... If I'm wearing my, like, Baba Anoika sweatshirt, you know, and somebody's like, what's with this cute old lady? Then I get to show off how much I know about this random person from history. That's awesome. It's great when when someone says something and you get to push up your glasses and say, well, actually. (laughs) That is the best. It's very satisfying. (laughs) Now, the first trial of the century, of the 20th century was the murder of a famous architect named Stanford White. Okay. We'll definitely be posting a picture of him on Instagram this week because you have never seen a mustache like this in your life. Really? It is splendid. It's glorious. That being said, this man was trash. Hmm. He allegedly, but definitely... Drugged and raped a 16-year-old girl when he himself was 48. Mm. The girl's name was Evelyn Nesbitt, and White had positioned himself as her caretaker, helping her to get modeling jobs from the time she was 11 years old. So this man is a groomer. Yeah. Evelyn did have a flourishing career with White's help, such as it was. She became known as the Little Sphinx, and she was featured in ads on postcards, and as a model for a few little magazines, such as Harper's Bazaar, Vanity Fair, and Cosmopolitan. That's pretty big, but the little Sphinx? The little Sphinx. Sphinx. She was, yeah, not not Sphinx, not the local gas station magnate. Oh. Sphinx. Like yeah. the, uh, like, like the, um, the, uh, the mysterious Egyptian figure. Oh, the Egyptian. Okay. Yes. So, is, was, I'm, I'm just curious, what, why? She is stunning. <clears throat> Absolutely stunning. But it was one of those like almost like Mona Lisa vibes, like just a mysterious oh. little air about her. Like she always looks a little mischievous, a little sneaky. Okay. She 
actually became the very first genuine pinup girl of all time. Really? Yes. Like the like the first one to appear like in in sketches and in photographs as a pinup. Wow. I know. And she began dancing as a chorus girl on Broadway, like in the in the brief time between moving to New York and being assaulted by her mentor. She and White were in a quote unquote relationship for six months after he attacked her, during which she referred to him as being a benevolent vampire. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But they soon drifted apart for the extremely obvious reason. Soon after, she began seeing a man named Harry Thaw. He was a millionaire from Pennsylvania, the son of an extremely wealthy coal and rail baron. If you're being referred to as a baron, like, yeah, that is extremely wealthy. You would think, yeah. Mm -hmm. He might have been a wonderful match for Evelyn, if not for his severe, untreated mental illness. When Thaw learned what had been done to her, he turned feral. At first, he was outraged and wanted to kill Stanford White. Understandably so. I mean, I kind of want to kill him myself. Horrible. Mm. But then a few days later, while having a manic episode, Thaw went into her room in the middle of the night, whipped her legs with a rawhide crop, and then raped her himself. What? Yeah. Bad guys in this story. God. Yeah. This poor woman. Despite that, well, excuse me, I should say this poor girl because she is still a teenager and this is happening. Despite all of that, and as a result of his incessant wooing, the two of them got married a couple of years later. Still, the memory of Stanford White haunted Thaw and he was determined to exact vengeance, regardless of the fact that he was the same exact brand of scumbag. On June 25th, 1906, Thaw and Evelyn attended the premiere of Mamselle Champagne on the rooftop theater at Madison Square Garden, which I didn't even know was a thing. I didn't either. I mean, it might not be anymore. This might have been like an early 1900s thing, but they had like this open air theater on the roof of the garden. Wow. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, it just so happened Stanford White was there as well. During the finale song, Thaw approached White, drew out a pistol and said, You've ruined my wife. He then shot White at point blank range, twice in the head and once in the shoulder, which killed him instantly. Which shot killed him instantly? The headshot. Oh, yeah. Okay. But it's like you, you get him in the head, but you're still pissed. You keep going a couple times, you know. You gotta pop that shoulder just just to get him. You double tap. Well, I imagine, That's true. and I couldn't find confirmation of this, but I imagine because it's point blank range, she shoots him twice in the head, and like somebody grabs him to like pull him away, uh, and that third shot goes a little wild into the shoulder. But that is my assumption. <laughs> we kind of you kind of got to right, right? Like why else? I don't know. Well, he's 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 uh he's blinded with rage. Very distraught, I think it'd be fair to say. To do this at a theater. At a theater during the show, like again, the finale song had just started. Right, mid performance. Yes, like just goes up to him, starts wow. popping off. So at first, people thought it was actually part of the show because <laughs> what the fuck? Like, why yeah. else would this be like during the song? And you've yeah. got the director. Of Mamselle Champagne going, keep singing, keep singing, keep singing, keep singing, don't stop. And it's like, are you out of your mind, sir? Like, are you, what are we talking about? Yeah. Kind of odd. 
But eventually people did realize that like, oh, no, no, why would that be part of this silly song at the end of a Broadway show? Um, and the rooftop turned into a madhouse. People just screaming, going crazy, trying to escape. Yeah. And we are on the roof. Like, I'm sure that there's not a lot of great ways to get away quickly. I don't know. The trial itself, I mean, because of course he was immediately arrested. The trial itself held the public in a chokehold with paper selling like crazy because it had all the earmarks of a classic scandal. Passion and vengeance and super, super rich people with a beautiful young celebutante at the center of it all. Mm. To top it all off, one of history's greatest villains, Thomas Edison, scrambled to put together a movie called Rooftop Murder that played in all the Nickelodeons in New York City. Wow. Like, he had this thing rolling before the trial even started. Like, quick, he got this thing together and put it out there. He knew how to make a book. He was just the absolute worst. And I'm yeah. another another one that I'm glad is dead. I hate him so much. I think I'm, I almost hate him the most out of everyone in this story. In the story. In the story, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's probably in my like top 20 list of all time. I'm just okay. saying. So meanwhile, in prison, Harry Thaw could simply not shut the fuck up about what a hero he was. So winning in court was going to be pretty tough for his defense attorney, Louis Delafield. Delafield decided to go with the obvious strategy of not guilty by reason of insanity. Like, yeah, that duh, do it. it's yeah. right there. But Thaw was not okay with that. Like he labeled him the traitor. And when he couldn't get the traitor to do what he wanted him to do, he fired him. According to famoustrials.com, the proud Thaw family, unable to stomach a traditional insanity case, settled on proving through their new team of lawyers that Harry had experienced a quote-unquote brainstorm, a brief bout of temporary insanity that could be expected of almost any American male put to the same stresses. Yeah, okay. These things happen. Right, like, fit of passion, you know? Like, that's that's a pretty common thing, like... It happens... It, it's underreported, but it happens all the time. I mean, you do hear it come up a lot in cases where, like, uh, rivals kill each other over, like, a person that they're both in love with. Or you find out your spouse is cheating and you kill them in a fit of passion. Or, like, it is something that's used a lot. Why they call it a brainstorm when that means something completely different is anyone's guess. Maybe that was a thing at the time. I don't know, man. Over 600 prospective jurors were interviewed before being narrowed down to the final 12. The trial began on February 4th and included a shit ton of eyewitnesses to the event because thousands of people were there. Yeah. Including an employee of Madison Square Garden who testified to hearing a conversation between Thaw and Evelyn in which he claimed he'd just saved her life by murdering White. In the face of so much evidence, Thaw's new defense attorney up and quit. And was replaced by a third lawyer. Oh, man. It's, that's that's <laughs> real bad. When the guy who, like, defends bad guys is like, no, 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 I'm out. That That is horrible. Yeah. The highlight, so to speak, came on February 8th, four days later, when Evelyn herself took the stand. Coverage of her testimony sold more papes than Jack Kelly ever dreamed was possible. And no, I will not ever apologize for referencing Newsies. <laughs> 
Her testimony lasted for two days, during which not only did she recount the events of the shooting, but also of her rape by Stanford White. Because people are gross and horrible, this ended up being the most talked about portion of the trial. I genuinely cannot imagine being Evelyn, who has put years of her life between that incident and the present day, only to have it dredged up again in public and talked about by newspaper subscribers all over the world. Yeah. Like, we need to do so much better for women. After that, psychiatrists and preachers were brought in to testify. The latter because they were considered defenders of decency. The last person brought to the stand, for whatever bizarre reason, was Harry Thaw's mother. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I guess. That's weird, though. The prosecutor, William Jerome, started to worry he wasn't going to get a conviction after all that and decided in the middle of the trial to switch his tactic to proving that Thaw was cuckoo cabanas 24-7 and needed to be locked up, as opposed to experiencing a passionate moment of temporary insanity. To that end, he subjected Evelyn to even more trauma by bringing up the night that Thaw had beaten and raped her after finding out what White had done to her. The whole thing was a clown show, so it's no wonder people were engaged enough with the case to call this the trial of the century. Even though we're only like, I mean, not even a decade into the century, this was so wild, so salacious <laughs> that like, I can understand thinking this is going to be like, was ever going to be crazier than this? Well, like, hold on, because you're the first of many, but like, yeah, I can see that. Hey, we're, we do the same. I think we had like a few trials of the century in the twenty in the two thousand. Oh yeah, right? there's there's already been several. Yeah, there's there have been. Oh god. Public interest held at a fever pitch all the way through April tenth, when the dueling attorneys completed their closing remarks and handed the conclusion over to the panel of jurors. Forty-seven hours later, a mistrial was declared. Oh. After all that wackadoo behavior and dragging Evelyn to hell and back, they declared a mistrial because the jury was hopelessly deadlocked, with five voting not guilty and seven voting guilty and in favor of the death penalty. Oh, man. Can you imagine being Evelyn at this point? Like, this has been going on for the last two and a half months, like, and it's not over. It's still not over. On the flip side, can you imagine being a paper salesman? <laughs> you're like, oh boy. Uh-huh. Oh boy. I might not have to sleep on the street tonight, fellas. Great. Now, fortunately for Evelyn, less so for the, the newsies, the second trial was much speedier and there was much less public interest since they'd already heard all mm. the most scandalous bits the first time around. Right. Ultimately, Harry Thaw was found not guilty by reason of insanity but he wasn't free to go like he thought he would be. Oh. The judge sentenced him to the Matawan State Hospital for the criminally insane until thence discharged by due course of law. For those of you like myself who wanted to see Evelyn get a happy ending, I have great news for you. When Thaw was released from Matawan seven years later, Evelyn was granted a divorce. After another brief, unhappy marriage to another dancer, she moved out to Los Angeles and became a sculptor, where she lived out her days in peace and privacy before dying of natural causes at the age of 82. 
That's great. Yeah, very happy for her. She deserved it. She deserved to be left the hell alone to do her little sculptures and just like not be photographed or talked to. And that's actually where I'm going to leave you for today. The murder of Stanford White took up a little bit too much time to be paired with another case, even though that gives us like kind of a short episode. But next time you'll get to hear about a corrupt union boss who ordered the assassination of his political rival and a pair of Italian anarchists and maybe even a couple other ones thrown in there. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks. That being said, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode since I'll be doing a few more like it in the near future. If you did, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a nice little review on whatever podcast platform you use. We're on all of them now, including YouTube, if that's more your speed. And Clay's been posting YouTube shorts, so some bonus content, some fun little bonus content on there. Yeah, that we, we can finally put some uh, visual aid besides the Instagram um, we got some more visual aid to go along with these shorter stories or condensed stories from episodes. And we're going to be looking at putting some um, new content on YouTube. So yeah. if, you, if you can't get enough <laughs> of us. Or if you're a fantastic history completionist and you need to have listened to everything. Melanie. Yeah. You, 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 you'll have to check. You'll have to. This is like we're, we're, we're doing the Disney Plus <laughs> um, we're, go, we're going Disney Plus on this. You have to multiple yeah. medias to uh, get the whole experience. Mm-hmm. The fantastic history cinematic universe. Ugh. And you know, because of that, like we also have a TikTok that has some of the same content, but some different contests. And I gotta go yeah. over to TikTok too. We also, um, sorry, on our TikTok to look us up, we are fantastic history podcast. Then hop over to Instagram for even different content. Oh, boy. Uh, That one is Fantastic HPod. And because we like to keep things spicy, our email address is fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. Having matching handles across platforms is overrated and chuggy, if you ask me. So... (laughs) And again, check the show notes for a link to some fun history-related merch on Etsy. Until next time. Bye.